0: Succeeding generations came back in and opened up those wells again. And the picture there is that there are certain things that are blocking that flow of life that God wants to be pouring out of us. And he knows exactly what that is for each one of us individually. So there's not one specific thing that he's saying to all of us. He's touching your heart and saying, here's something I want to open up. I want to see fresh life. Come inside of each one of you. So, today is, a, is another step in my mind in that whole process of looking for what we can move into in obedience. And we're going to be having a baptism today. <laughs> Baptisms here are fun, they're celebrations. This is exciting. It's fun to see people say yes to the Lord and, and to want His will. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, do a teaching on baptism today. It's a step of, uh, of repentance and obedience that is a basic part of the beginning of our walk with Jesus. So follow with me as I read in Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptizer is speaking here. And he's talking to a crowd of people who've come out and responded to his message of repentance. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So I'm going to go through this passage and tie in some other references and explain what we're doing today. What is baptism? Baptism is a sign or a public statement of your covenant relationship with Jesus. Now, I believe it's not merely a sign. I believe there's power involved in this. So it's not just like a thing, a box you check but there's a way that God's Holy Spirit mixes his hand into this process and does a fresh work in your life. We believe that obedience brings fresh grace in our lives. Humility. God gives grace to the humble. So he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. So repentance is on the inside. And baptism is what we see on the outside. And Peter puts repentance and baptism together also in Acts 2.38. He says, well, it's uh, the day of Pentecost, and he preaches, and there's thousands of people that are standing there as they're riveted to what he's saying. At the end of the message, they say, what must we do? What do we do? We believe you. We believe this good news that you're preaching. And he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to go back to that pattern at a couple of different times. This is repentance, baptism, and the infilling, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what happens in baptism? There's a, a passage that's interesting, that not everybody ties in to this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 20 and 21, it says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of... Of a clear conscience toward God, so I, whenever I'm teaching a small group about ready to be baptized, I did this morning. I read this passage, and I tell them, I ask them, how were these people saved by the water? And the answer is, they were saved. The water saved them from their past life, and we believe when you go down in the water. And come out, there's a picture of washing that happens there, and it's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And it's an end to your past life. So you're walking freshly in in forgiveness, in cleansing, in a brand new beginning of your life. Now, it's very possible to be baptized and have no change of heart. It's possible to do outward things and not have an interchange in your life. You can have the right label on a bottle of medicine. You can have one label on the outside and have something different on the inside. The important thing is that what's on the inside is happening first, that there's a a relationship with Jesus, there's a purity of heart, But the idea is we want both the label and the medicine to match. We're looking for this genuine change of heart and external acts of obedience and repentance. So, do you need to be baptized in order to be saved or go to heaven? No. Ephesians 2, 8 says, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It's not something that you do. To be born again, it's giving yourself to the one who changes you, and that's the—that is what it means in, in the whole passage in John chapter three—is seeing who Jesus is, turning from your past and turning toward Him and saying yes to Him. That is the the salvation experience. There's a sinner on the cross in Luke twenty-three forty-three. There was a conversion experience that happened and there was no baptism. And uh, Jesus said to the, the man next to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So baptism, for us though, who have an opportunity to respond in repentance, it's a place of humility. And uh, one question I get asked a lot is, who baptizes? My wife and I were... Uh, We're missionaries in Indonesia for 10 years, and uh, there was a lot of times the people that we were ministering to were very distant from the church. It was wonderful. People that would go nowhere near Christians or nowhere near churches. We're going into Muslim villages with uh, uh, other leaders that worked with me that were born in that country and walked in that culture. And so we were trusting baptism to happen through people that led them to Jesus, If you leave someone to Jesus, you can baptize them. So, another thing that we say is any spiritual leader can baptize. Your life group leader, whoever's leading your small group, a ministry leader in your area, pastor can baptize. Your parents can baptize you. It's a person, we're honoring a place of authority in an individual's life. And so, today you'll see that dynamic. We have a college pastor baptizing, I'll be baptizing, and then... Uh, one of our young adult leaders is also baptizing. Now, in the next verse, uh, John the Baptist is saying, After me comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His one-wing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So, what John is saying is everything points to Jesus. He is the one. He's the one we're, we're anticipating. He's the one we're looking for. And John was in a unique place in history in preaching baptism and calling people to repentance. But he said, Jesus is where this is all heading. He's the one that we're focusing on. And he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, there's another passage that, that talks about uh, baptism-related Jesus, and it says uh, that Jesus was not the one who baptized. He did not baptize anyone in water. His disciples baptized. So, He is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Then in the 13th verse, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John deterred Him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? He replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So, though he was perfect, though he was sinless, Jesus believed that baptism was a part of the obedience in his own life. So, it's not about all the things you're not supposed to do in the situation. It wasn't… Jesus turning from sin. It was him fulfilling all righteousness. It was him giving himself to obedience, the fullness of God's purposes. And Jesus commanded that we would be baptized and that we would baptize, actually. And this is in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in the 16th verse, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So we see, you know, um, there are lots of opinions. There are denominations that have been created over arguments related to baptism. There's a, a lot of emotion that has been involved around this subject. So I'm, I'm telling you what we do. What is, what is our practice and why do, we, why do we do this? We see that Jesus went under the water. And uh, uh, I worked in, in ministry with, with Methodists that, in Indonesia that poured water on people. And we, we walked alongside of one another. But I, I like to get as wet as possible. <laughs> I want dead, 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 dead to my past. And new, 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 new life to my future. So we, we bury him underwater. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit confirmed this moment. Jesus came up out of the water, and, and we have a Trinitarian moment. This is a beautiful place. You want to talk about the Trinity and explain to people, you know, what does this mean, God, three in one? Right here, we have the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus and the Father speaking. So, this amazing mystery we see right in front of us, and um so i' I've, I've already mentioned that 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 this underwater is about a burial and a resurrection Colossians two eleven and twelve paul's uh, writing here, and he says in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, so He's saying that there was a sign of covenant in the Old Testament with circumcision. The sign of covenant in the New Testament is baptism. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. How did that happen? How how does Christ circumcise him? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So when I baptize, I say baptize you my brother, my sister in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. And the Father speaks, "This is my son whom I love; with him I am well pleased." Clearly God the Father was honored at this moment. Now we love to dedicate our, ch- our infants to God, our children to God. This is a big question that comes up, and, and here's how we do it. We, on a regular basis, ask parents with, uh, if, the, if they've never dedicated their children to God, or maybe they've adopted an older child, bring them in here. Or if it's a brand-new baby, as soon as you can get them in here, we can organize it. We invite people in to have a service where we sing, Jesus, we are stewards as parents, but you are God, and we want to honor you with this child. And so we strongly believe and respect that decision that, that parents make in committing their children to God. So here's, here's basically um, a little bit of the story of, of Susan and my life. We have four children, and I had the privilege of baptizing all four of them. So, uh, again, any initiative from parents that lead us into relationship with God is honorable. So, Susan and I were in different uh, congregations, and we dedicated our children to Jesus. And then we prayed over them every day. You know, uh, sometimes if they're keeping you up late at night, they get more prayer during those times. So we, we prayed over them, we laid them down, we prayed over them, uh, over, you know, God's blessing. We prayed His Word over them. And then we read the Bible to them. And we had cute little fuzzy Bibles, you know, that you can touch for one-year-olds, that were, and, and then Bibles that were appropriate for their age all along the way, and then their own Bibles. We brought them under Bible teaching and consistent influence with other Christians. As soon as my children were in junior high, I was trying to get other strong, mature believers that were older involved in their lives. And uh, uh, so I didn't want just our impact on them. We wanted the community to affect our children. Because you could be in a Christian family and still be on the outside looking in. You could have been raised in church and still be saying, you know, I'm not sure what I think about this. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. So I didn't really, because I was pastor and because our children had all of this exposure to the Bible, I was particularly sensitive to not pushing baptism with my kids because I knew they would respect me. I knew that they would, would honor me. Susan and I, in in our advice, but but I took that actually baptism as a point where they had a mature level of responsibility in choosing their faith, and uh, I wanted to know that they really wanted this. And so there's not an age limit. I don't. I we we baptize younger children here. But I normally meet with the parents and have a conversation. I want to know what the children understand. And, and if, you know, if it's kind of questionable, I'll, I'll move forward. It's, I, there's not a high bar of standard of trying to get people to perform at a certain level. I honor what the, what the parents want and, and what I hear from the child at that moment. But ultimately, each individual has to make a mature decision to continue to persevere in their faith, so it's not just enough to pray a prayer, attend a church, be a part of a social group. The question is: Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you know Him? Are you walking with Him? Now, uh, I'm going to end by telling a uh, going through a, a passage in Acts chapter 19. Well, I'll tell a story first. Uh, Joshua's older brother, this is a, a, about uh, John Mark right now, we were, as a family, we, like I said, we lived in Indonesia, and we were all, uh, we made a trip out to, we were missionaries that made a mission trip, okay? We were in central Indonesia, and we went to eastern Indonesia, to a pretty remote area, it's a, we had a lot of wonderful opportunities to go to pretty extreme experiences, and this was one of them, and uh, there was a group of, of students from the high school that our children were a part of that were out there, and each evening, we would, every day, we'd do some sort of a service project, some way of serving in, the, in this area out in, in Timor, in, uh, what was the city? Kupang in Timor. And uh, then at night, we'd have, have church services. We'd have these different things. And, and the youth leader that was there asked my son, John Mark, if he would give a testimony, and, um, which is kind of a typical thing that was happening in these meetings. And he came up to me a couple of hours before the service in the afternoon and he said, Daddy, I don't have a testimony. I can't really point at a place in my life why? I know, you know, I've been here, I've been around this whole thing, and he's a he's a 10th or 11th grade at this point in time. And this was a, a very real, honest moment for him, coming to me as his dad in the middle of a bunch of his friends and into, in this place where we're out uh, really teaching the, the gospel to people who've had no access to it, although there was a… a uh, believers in the area that we we uh, were working with, but uh who had not heard it before and and I said, "Well, talk to me about that and he He just explained you know I, I, I was his dad i 'd been there through all the major moments of his life and uh, and he said you know i don't i can 't point to a time where i said i I really walked through all of this in obedience, and I I talked with him for a while, and then I put my arm around him, and it's already, already turning dark. And I said, "Go get a testimony. You go talk to God, walk out in the darkness, and deal with him. Open up your life to him. Tell him everything. He can hear you. Go get a testimony." You don't have to talk in front of anybody anybody in church tonight. You don't have to be a part of this meeting. You don't have to perform. But you need to get a story of what it means for you to begin a walk with Jesus. And he did. He came back and said, wow, something happened. And uh, he's continued to walk with the Lord as other children have. We've you know, it, all of this is a place of great humility and grace. It's not performance. We're, uh, you know, when, when is the place when you can write the book on parenting? I think it's right before you die, you know, and you're, we don't do this right. We're stewards. We're walking step by step in every part of this process, continuing to pray for our adult children and their spouses. But this is, this is what we do. In Acts chapter 19, we see again this pattern. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And I've met people who have been in church, they're disciples, they're they're following along with this process, and you say, you know, what's your understanding of the Holy Spirit? It's like, don't have one. Don't understand that. And so it follows up with questions. Then what baptism did you receive? And they said John's baptism, and they, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, what do we have? We have disciples. We have people that this apostolic band has met who are God-fearing. They're people that, have, that are in the Old Testament Scriptures, and they've been baptized In line with, maybe possibly by John the Baptist, but certainly in hearing in response to that message. And then they're baptized in the name of Jesus. What comes next is so, where are they right now? They're believers, they've been baptized. And hearing this, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The Spirit of God did some supernatural things in their lives. So, in many of our lives, this process is not like this. It's one tight package. You may have heard different things. You may have been in uh, church many different times over the course of your life. You're a disciple and not been baptized. And then you, you may have been baptized and it be... Years again before you really understand what it means to be discipled and to walk with God and to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. So, wherever you are in that process, the question is what's your next step of obedience? What is God doing in your life? And how can you, you know, I, 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 I don't really enjoy arguing with people, I like teaching. If someone wants to learn, if they're engaged in a process, then I'll say, here's what I see in Scripture. And So, I'm, I'm not ever trying to corner someone, never trying to force anyone to any specific action. I'm inviting you in to deeper walk with God, obedience with Him. And uh, so, today we're going to do that. We're going to baptize some people, all right? So, We got four people coming up right now.